Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks sleep number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to Hoovering, the podcast about eating. I'm Jessica Fosterkew. I love eating as much as anything else in the world, but also it sometimes brings me conflict, shame, and all sorts of other things that are rubbish. It's complicated and I think fascinating. This is a conversation with an interesting soul, not just about food, but about gobbling it up, or if you will, hoovering. Hello ponies, welcome to Hoovering. I've been planning to do this one for a while and I've only just finished the required reading. I am talking in this episode to a professor, no less, academic and author of the pioneering and brilliant, I think, books, The Diet Myth and Spoonfed, Tim Spector. He's an expert on the gut and how what we eat affects our gut. And as we're learning as a result of that, having increasingly massive repercussions on all sorts of things to do with our physical and almost inevitably mental health. Um, thanks for listening to Hoovering, though. First of all, can you tell every other sauce to listen to it <laughs> thank you um, one way of spreading the word about it is merely just to subscribe to it or to give it a little five star review and just write splendid 100% splendid that will do as a review if you want to keep it short if you've got spare dosh knocking about you can support the podcast financially my favourite way of people doing that is when they become a patron if you are my patron hey guys hi thanks go to patreon.com forward slash the hoovering pod um, and you will see all the brilliant things i will swap you in exchange for your pennies um guest recipes for all for example and things like totally exclusive content including the exclusive whole episode that has just gone out for some of my very generous patrons um, and maybe other patrons would want to boost up 
to a tenor for a month so that they can also get to it. Who knows? I invited for that episode uh, my favourite guests from the last year back to have a lunchtime fourth hoovering birthday party with me, including the frankly hilarious Fatiha El Ghori and Siobhan McSweeney from the Pottery Throwdown and Derry Girls. Ah, it was a really, really really funny episode um okay links to um, that and to everything interesting that tim and i talk about in this podcast coming up are as ever in the podcast notes wherever you got this podcast from so before we get into it i need to put quite a serious warning in front of this episode um tim's work is or has been until recently so concerned only with the physical science of what happens when we eat that he is very blasé about throwing some language around which i know could be very triggering for some listeners and he mentions obesity and weight loss regularly in this episode i really get into it with him uh, about the impact of that language and that focus and about disconnecting the physical from mental health but um it happens. The conversation, it still, it keeps coming up. It's part of his work and he talks about it sort of frequently and casually over the course of this episode. So if that is something dangerous for you to hear, or indeed just something you could probably do without today, then maybe dodge this episode for now. I feel very privileged, frankly, to be in a headspace where I can meet uh, that side of his work with emotional neutrality and curiosity and focus on the bits where instead we just get to nerd out about our incredible, enormous, diverse microbiomes. A few years ago, though, I'd have had to swerve this one myself. Um, let's get into it. Tim and I met over Zoom and had lunch together. The theme, for me at least, being to try and make my lunch as gut friendly as possible to show off to him that I'd read both of his books. <laughs> Thank you for joining me for lunch, Tim. Pleasure. This is exciting. I've never had a professor on the podcast before. It's usually clowns, occasionally a journalist, a politician, a weightlifter, but never a real life professor. So I'm honoured. There's a first for everything. Yeah. <laughs> um, first things first, I've, I've attempted to make myself a lunch that will impress you. Um, <laughs> pathetically as an adult, trying to impress an, another adult. Um, but I'd love to know what you're eating for lunch, please, first of all. Well, I didn't have much time to prepare, I'm afraid. So um, unfortunately, COVID hasn't gone away and that was my, took up my morning. Um, mm. But the, um, what I've got is a basically, fairly typical for me, I've got some sourdough bread um, with rye in it, that, uh, I, I make myself and wow i um uh i've also got some cheese some unpasteurized cheese smelly cheeses lovely a, a very runny english brie uh brown baron bigod and, oh, uh, lovely and a stitchelton unpasteurized stilton Wow, that's the stuff of dreams i've recently managed to convert my um six-year-old to stilton which feels mm. like one of the biggest culinary victories or just victories. Very tough, yeah. And yeah. then, of course, of course, you can't have cheese now. I can't anyway without something like uh, kimchi. So I've, mm-hmm. got, I've got my mixed uh, veggie kimchi here. Okay. And, and, some, um, and some pickled um, uh, beetroot. Oh, great. And did you make the kimchi even? Um, this one I didn't. I'll no. be honest, I could lie, but I didn't make it. <laughs> no, it's no um, need to lie. We can't, we can't have time all the time. I did make kimchi for the first time in um, one of the lockdowns. And um, it, I, it was delicious, but it was more, um, it definitely was more pungent than shop-bought kimchi. I don't know if that's a sign that it was even better for you. 
but it really honked. Well, I think you know there's definitely microbes in the one you yeah. make yourself. There's no doubt. You can't avoid that. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but it, it's good every now and again to, you know, get some uh, shop-bought ones uh, just to compare, see how you're doing. Yeah, totally. Oh, well, I hope it's delicious. Let me know as you as you eat it. I've gone for a, um, a defrosted dal mm-hmm. um, with... It's got spinach and cherry tomatoes in it and some handful of mixed seeds. And then there was, I saw a little pouch of leftover coconut rice in there that I'd made back in October. So I'm braving that. And um, and then I've got a kefir for pudding shot. A kefir um, shot for pudding. What else is it? What's, what's peach, it? turmeric, no added sugar, it promises. Pasteurised cow's milk fermented with live kefir cultures. Peach puree, 3.6%. Um, fruit concentrate, apple grate, carob, peach, yeah, lemon concentrate, stable, pectin, then turmeric, and then just a very vague natural flavoring as the last ingredient that could mean mm. anything couldn't it salt dry skin anything what well, it's funny that they can write natural flavoring just as a little afterthought there yeah and then and a satsuma for an half if i'm not absolutely stuffed which i imagine i might well be um but yeah i also i i was trying to impress you by having a lot of plants and a plant a completely planty lunch i have already had quite a lot uh, a rainbow brunch earlier late breakfast um but i also have to personally account for how hungry i'm going to be and what i'm going to feel like and where i'm at with my day in terms of exercise as well so i've just done my first of two bits of weightlifting training that's my exercise of choice so i've got a, a particularly protein massive plate in terms of the size of that amount of dal ratio to other things on there Um, because I knew I'd be quite hungry for this one and I didn't want to be so hungry I couldn't concentrate on the conversation Um, you've impressed me so it's it's a good start so there you go your books your work has fundamentally rewired how I think about food completely in terms of um, how I think about food when I'm thinking of it in terms of its nutritional value. So I wanted to thank you for that. Um, I think, and your books are so beautifully written um, and brilliantly accessible. I, I wish I had longer than an hour with you. I might have to invite you back again. Um, <laughs> we'll see how we go, but uh, please eat as we go along. I'll try and talk enough that you get a chance to eat anything. Um, but yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I suppose, first of all, I'd love to know how many of us would you say fundamentally believe things about eating that were sewn into the very fabric of our belief systems from childhood, which science has now proven to be rubbish? I think almost all of us, right? Yeah, I think anyone brought up in this country or most Western countries have that same sort of belief system. We were told it was true and, you know, passed it down generations and, um, you know, forgot the original source of it and, um, you know, became part of our culture. And it shifts over time. I feel like there are generations that believed different myths, aren't there? I I, I feel like I, I remember a childhood full of people saying you must eat breakfast. Um, fat is bad. Um, fat-free everything became a thing during the 90s really noticeably even as a child but then actually as I over the course of my adult life I've watched 
sugar become the new demon a carbohydrate and now sugar um fascinating um that these things are blown out of the water um is that just to do with media and fashion how we always need a food group to demonize do you think or is that something to do with how humans like to function with there being like really sort of i mean are we just like desperate for black and white morals around things things are good or bad and that's that I think so. Good versus good versus evil. Yeah, I mean, heaven and hell. You know, we like these sort of binary systems. And um, I think it's not totally new because, you know, there were debates about fats and sugars, you know, over 100 years ago. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, the, the occasional overweight person would, you know, uh, they'd still be having the same debates. Yeah. So I think it must be something in human nature. We... Uh, we like to discuss this and also the idea of a quick fix. Yeah. Um, if it's something so simple, oh, if it's just fats, I'll stop eating fat and yeah. all, my, all my problems are solved, you know? And we've just more recently extended the list of those things because we think we know more about food than we did. So, you know, we've now added, uh, you know, certain types of fats or, um, you know, now with carbs, you know, proteins, it's let's, you know, let's talk about gluten or let's talk yeah. about wheat, wheat or let's talk about, um, uh, you know, some reductionist idea or it's, let's, you know, the whole problem is coconut oil or the whole problem is, you know, um, uh, a certain type of carb. Uh, yeah, it's just, yeah. I think it, this is history repeating itself really. And uh, because we like a nice simple story, uh, lots of people write very convincing, well-written books on these subjects. We've now got social media that people make their living by having a particular one thing that they they give tips on. Yeah, and there are millions of followers. So yeah, you know we're all we're all suckers basically, and you know yeah. myself included. You know I've I've read some of these books, and you know oh by the end I said oh, gosh that's Really, you know, very convincing, you know. Yeah. Until I sort of slap myself and say, "Oh, that, that was a stupid." <laughs> but we also we're always learning, and I think one of the things I like about your books is that you're quite honest about having have held beliefs that you've had to go through the process of changing, sometimes based on your own research that you then you know you do further research, you read further research that overturns your old thinking. Like we're a constant, you know. The more you know, the more you know you've got to know about these things as far as possible um you reminded me of a conversation there was a i think a nice example of that was a conversation i had for this podcast with a somebody who a historian who had looked at the history of diets specifically of sort of you know weight loss diets fatty diets and um even back in the ancient Greeks, there was um, a sort of prescription for a lifestyle which actually fundamentally sounded pretty brilliant you know it's quite intuitive and it was all about fresh air and, and meeting your hunger and but also listening to your fullness and it was actually this sort of sounded like this amazing early blueprint for intuitive eating and balance and lots of plants and all of this stuff but then it tagged on the end of it it said but you must also um practice regular naked running and regular purging and it was like okay thank you you've ruined even even that one has been ruined with i guess whatever was the wellness product of the time yeah, um, it's hard yeah. to come up with something new. It yeah. is. 
<laughs> Even flaws with the ancient Greek um, wellness influences. Um, I want to ask you, as a layman's guide, if people are completely new to you in your work, what, please, is the gut microbiome? Something like an organ, as I understand it. I've sort of started to think of it personally as a, um, a disgusting, but also somehow beautiful, big, squilchy internal coral reef that I give gifts by eating fermented products. That's a good one. Yeah, the coral reef. I like that one. Yeah. So there have been all kinds of metaphors. Um, And for something that's basically, you know, uh, where you make your poo, but, you know, (laughs) we've got to dress it. We've got to dress it up a bit. Yes. Well, microbiome, I think it makes it sound like Sherlock Holmes's um, mind palace. It sounds like this incredible, yeah, I'd like to do a talk. I'd like, when we get the science to become tiny and get injected inside a person, like in those 80s films, I'd like to go around one. The problem is we can't really visualise it, and that's why we've got to come up with metaphors, because Mm -hmm. essentially, you know, it's, it's an organ within an organ, so it's, it's contained, most of it is contained within our lower intestine, our colon. Yeah. And that's obviously a, a big tube, one and a half meters long. Mm-hmm. And lining it are all these microbes and where our, you know, our stools are formed. And yeah. every, every day they get flushed out, but there's still a residual group of them there on the, on the lining of that. So structurally, you can see roughly where it is, but it's hard to conceptualize. So that's why I... You know, I used to talk about it. I mean, yes, it could be a coral reef. Uh, it could be a, a sort of garden that you're, yeah. you're nourishing. But, you know, in a, in a more scientific way, it's perhaps seen as a chemical factory. Uh, yeah. An organ within an organ that is a chemical factory that produces vitamins, it produces hormones, nerve chemicals, immune stimulants, uh, everything you need to be healthy. And... To feed this bag, you know, yeah. you you got to feed it properly so that it then responds and uses all that stuff you're giving it to produce just this amazing balance of chemicals for the rest of your body. And I think I'm increasingly going towards that sort of description. Um, yeah. Once now people have grasped the basic coral reef or um, uh, or garden idea that you do need to nourish it uh, because it's the key to it is not so much the individual microbes, but it's what they actually make, right? What they, what they produce for our body, things that we can't make ourselves. And I think that's that's the key to it. So it's not like they themselves are digging holes or uh, you know uh, attacking things. It's 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 what they're making for us. Amazing. And and, and how our gut functions and how diverse your microbiome is in there affects how we not just how we process food then and what the food we eat does to our body and how functional it makes our body etc but also i I suppose in then affects your fitness and your wellness in terms of your um protection from your immunity your protection from disease all of that stuff everything yeah and we're we're coming around to the idea that actually immunity might be the the key and i think obviously COVID's given us big insights into everyone now is an expert on you know, virology and immunology and all these. Uh, Are they? Uh, <laughs> well, everyone's yeah. an expert on food as well. You know, yeah. so, I mean, um, everything we've tasted a little bit of, um, we think, but we know. But you know, yeah. you, I mean, the the app, the Zoe app that I helped, where well, we did mm. find the 
did find that the quality of your of your diet had an influence about the severity of your COVID. So we wow. know we know there's links now between um, you know how you feed your microbes and in a way how your immune system works, and that was demonstrated. You know, and that was really very clear. It was one of the biggest risk factors for going to hospital was having uh, a poor quality diet, high in ultra processed yeah. foods and low in right. plants and things. And I think that was the most interesting thing we found of all our surveys. Um, oh, it's fascinating. But the but the immune system is key because mm. yes, the microbes line the lower part of the colon, and all, all our immune cells are basically ninety percent of them are in our gut. We yeah. don't think we don't envisage them like that, but that's where they are. Mm. So, and so the two are really interacting together to make sure that uh, you know those microbe chemicals are signaling to the immune cells. The immune cells are signaling back to the microbes, and this is keeping us in this perfect state um, whereby we can fight disease but not overreact and give us allergies and right. uh, autoimmune disease where we can also uh, pick up early cancers and oh, wow. the immune system can pick them off and also fight uh, damaged cells so that we, we reduce the aging process. And so yeah. increasingly, the more we look at it, you know, this microbe immune um, interaction is, is, is probably the key to our health. And we can't directly feed our immune system. You've got to feed it through the microbes, which means you've got to, feed it through your, your diet. And I think that's the that's that's one of the key things that certainly has become clearer to me in the last couple of years, helped by one of the few benefits of COVID, I think. Wow. In light of that, looking at uh, gut health versus your reaction, for example, something like COVID and medicine, um, your first book taught me about the destructive impact on antibiotics, though, on the diversity and health of what's going on in your gut. I'd had no idea about that. And especially in babies, we're very quick as a society, in the UK at least, or in the West, to prescribe antibiotics. But And I don't still know how if a doctor said to me, your, your newborn does need antibiotics, I'd have the... I'd, I just would be too scared to say no. But am I right in thinking we're not helping matters with, in terms yeah. of gut health by, by taking antibiotics too much as a society? Yeah, I mean, in general, it, it's often the patient requesting antibiotics from the doctor okay. rather that's causing right. perhaps most of the overprescription. Because mm-hmm. um, the doctor will say, well, it's probably a virus. You, it's right. not going to work. And you, you say, well... You know, little Johnny's still unwell. I'm a bit mm-hmm. anxious. You know, he won't do any harm, will it? And the doctor gets, you know, says, "All oh, right, take him just to get you out, get you out of the surgery." Um, and um, that's that's the way it generally works. So that's why we we prescribe three times as many antibiotics as they do in Sweden, for example. Right. Oh, crikey. Um, and but other countries are worse than us. So in Southern Europe, yeah. it's perhaps twice as bad as as we are here. So. And in general, no one ever talked about side effects of of uh, antibiotics because we didn't understand, you know, even five years Rush. ago. People are embarrassed to talk about that one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's not, you know, it's not usually dinner table conversation. But, sorry, uh, sorry. <laughs> but that's that's one example of, you know, the people who do suffer 
realize yeah. the side mm-hmm. effects of antibiotics, but many never have it and never think about it. Yeah. And so, um, but now we know that it is linked to obesity in children and allergies. And so, particularly at you know key points in life, um, and antibiotics can be really bad for you. So, yes, they save lives. You know, some of us wouldn't be here if we hadn't had antibiotics to use. But yeah, we vastly overuse it, and we have to be much more careful about it being in our food system. And um, many cheap meats and things still contain and dairy products sometimes. Levels. I suppose, yeah, yeah, yeah that I'm but, bizarre. But I think, but I think if every if every GP told you know parents uh, who come in with their sickly ch- child, you realise you know it's related to aller- increased risk of allergy and obesity. Yeah, they you know it would change the conversation, and mm. so you know it's not like they're smarties. You you know there's no downside to it. Just try yeah. it and see. And I think that's yeah. a, it's a good example of just how our recent science. You know, the medicine hasn't caught up with our rec- the recent science, really, and the um, culture. I feel like there's quite a lot of that, and I'd like to get quite into that. I, I, first of all, I wanted to ask, I mean, it's quite a personal question, so you can tell me to get get fucked if you like, but um, have you ever had a complicated relationship with eating? I ask every guest on this, or have you always had a relatively easy time? Or have you ever flirted with any level of obsession or disordered eating yourself? Uh, the only time, I think, was when I was on my gap year working in Austria. yeah. I developed um, a real relationship with um, um, Wiener Schnitzel Cordon Bleu. <laughs> I'm a quarter Austrian, so you're you're preaching to the um, to the I was, Schnitzel. Family. I was basically washing up, and I, yeah. I I couldn't bear to throw away all these uh, yeah these Cordon Bleu Wiener Schnitzels. <laughs> so I put on a, a stone and wait very quickly for the first mm. time in my life. That was about my only real. Um, <laughs> ob- obsession that uh, yeah I had to, yeah. had to wean myself off. Um, Fair enough. <laughs> the part, no, I, I've been pretty, I've been pretty lucky really. Um, yeah, I've had a fascinating time with this podcast. I've been doing it for um, over four years now, and I've had a really interesting revelation, which I wouldn't have expected to have been quite so stark in its results, in the sense that ninety nine point nine percent of the women I've spoken to have said yes in answer to that question, and almost the same roughly percentage of men have said nah fine generally um or they have an example like yours which is once i got a bit podgy for a summer um which i, I think on the spectrum of disordered eatings is relatively but, harmless yeah, but in my books i do talk about how it gradually crept up on me yeah okay um, fair enough you know and i i putting on a kilo a year yeah which you don't notice year on year mm. until until you know if you compare yourself 10 years ago and that's and that sort of coincided with my my interest in um, in nutrition and the microbiome. Okay. Because uh, I was just feeding myself the wrong foods and okay. giving myself the wrong advice. And so I think that was part of it. But it wasn't a dramatic um, uh, change or preference or fad diet or anything else. It was just uh, yeah. eating what I was told was healthy for me, which turned out not to be. Yeah. I think it's um, – I think – Oh, there's two angles on this really that I'd love to explore. Um, we touched really briefly on um, medicine and nutrition not being on the same page necessarily, and you talk really eloquently in your book, um, the most recent one about um, what an incredibly tiny amount of time is spent in the whole five years a 
a family doctor, for example, trained for initially is something like three days is spent talking about nutrition um, when actually it's such an enormous part of um, people's health. Um, I have a, a different experience to you in terms of history with eating, much more complicated. And as someone who's um, uh, had years, decades of pointless misery around being obsessed with weight, um, I would love there to come a time where doctors and indeed the government move away from an, an obsession with weight and BMI as the primary aim of actual health um, improvement and advising pointless fatty diets, keto, calorie counting, restriction, which we statistically know now are doomed in the long term. Um, I wonder, is there any move towards... Is there a world in which we can be a bit less obsessed with people's weight? And I say this to you as someone who personally, after years of disordered eating, had to have so much good therapy to sort of relax and start eating intuitively. I never, I've already, I never didn't care about nutrition, but I would say arguably now I'm somebody who is technically on a chart, obese, um, but I know I'm incredibly strong and fit and healthy and the strongest and fit and healthiest I've ever been. And actually even the word obese, it hurts my, it makes me sad. It's like, oh, you, I'm not diseased. I'm the wellest I've ever been. I'm the happiest and the healthiest I've ever been. So I, it's just unhelpful labeling. I wish getting people to eat better wasn't always so focused on weight. Is that something we could possibly ever address? And also, is there any move at all? Because I think doctors are often the people, and I know you're saying you're a bit they're scared to ask people to address their weight. But also, why do we have to go into it from that angle? Why can't we talk about what people could eat more of rather than what people could restrict, etc.? Well, you've got about 10 questions in there. But I, yeah, I think, um, sorry. Um, the last one, <laughs> I, absolutely yeah. agree, I absolutely agree, I think. And all the stuff we're doing with the Zoe... Um, yeah, personalised nutrition program uh, that's hopefully coming to the UK soon. Um, it is about giving people extra choices to eat and increasing their variety of things, and absolutely not saying don't eat this. Um, Ever you can have occasionally, you know, and the idea you completely cut out all foods forever, you know, of this type is madness. So, so I think moving people away from that. You know, I can eat carrots tonight and then I'm going to eat cauliflower tomorrow. You know, it's we've got to change that whole mindset um, so that people don't feel that, you know, a healthy diet is deprivation of some kind. It's mm. it's just replacing starchy things with things that are less starchy, but still colorful and nice and tasty. And, you know, and it's giving people getting people out of food ruts. I think that's that's the other big thing that people who've had weight problems end up getting ideas about food that are very um, sort of dysfunctional in a way and, and are hard to, hard to break. So to just say, well, forget everything you've heard. You know, we're giving you some scores here. You can eat anything here, but if on average you hit these scores in a, in a, in a week or whatever, then, you know, we know you're going to feel better. Interesting, yeah. interesting that you talk about the, the, the first results of people who followed this personalized plan of which is supposed to reduce your sugar peaks and your fat peaks yeah. so showed that the first the number one thing people um said that they felt better on was actually having more energy yeah uh not losing weight uh, yeah. lo losing weight was number two but the thing they virtually all said is once once you sort of smooth out 
these sugar and fat peaks uh, and you have a, a richer variety of foods and you're helping your gut, it's energy levels, which was the one thing. And that, that's not something that any of us guessed, actually. So oh, wow. we, sh- we maybe should have done. But um, I think so now we're tracking, you know, people's diets and foods by tracking their mood and their energy uh, yeah. and having sort of uh, weight loss as a secondary uh, item because it, you know, they're all related, but then, you know, I think that that's the thing people notice. And when you get people to change their breakfast or, for, you know, from a carby to a fatty or vice versa, yeah, you know, I don't think we're used to actually asking people, well, how do you feel three hours later? What, what's your energy level like? Yeah, yeah. And, and when people do actually get a good result, they're, they're very excited to say, well, you know, suddenly this has really changed my life because suddenly, you know, I've got my energy back. And um, yeah, I think that you're absolutely right. Finding things other than just, you know, uh, how many pounds did you lose or not? And and also the, we know these categories of obese and extremely obese and, you know, mildly yeah. you know, overweight uh, are totally uh, old-fashioned. Uh, we know that, you know, international rugby teams, 50% of them are obese. Yeah. And, and there's no fat on them. Yeah. Um, so uh, anyone who's building muscle, these are just not appropriate. Uh, right. For, w- w- unfortunately, we don't have anything better. Yeah, uh, of course. A bit like later. calories. We don't. We are so desperate to quantify everything, <laughs> but we still don't have a similarly, I suppose, mathsy countable number of things to count. So we're just sort of left with it until we've got. And it's yeah. It's it's. We know it's all the scientists know it's very imperfect, but of course, yeah. Um, the public get obsessed with these figures, and you know difference between having a, a BMI of, you know, 24.9 and, you know, you know, and 25 or 29.9 and 30, you know, yeah. oh, I'm suddenly not a beast, you know, that's great. <laughs> but it's also, it's just like you say throughout the whole book, you know, it's all about an individual approach. There's such overwhelming evidence that two different people are going to process two different, two identical meals. So, enormously differently depending on so many factors and even then even if you measure it in that point in time you know you go six months later and the body composition might have changed hormonal cycle aging all these things are going to affect it and to you we are we love as a society to be able to say this is a blanket rule for everyone and it's it's that's i think one of the most lovely and mind-blowing things about this work is it's kind of saying no it's we just can't do that with eating we're all such we're all really complicated machines who are going to do different things with the same fuel essentially yeah and well that's absolutely right and i always so we're incredibly different you know and we used to think oh it was only genetically but now we know microbially we know two people are the same you know Mm. microbes for some reason they you know they're very fussy about who they live in, and yeah. <laughs> um, which is kind of nice, really. We all got our own unique coral reef. Yeah. Um, that we, so we've got to work out how to feed it, and then of course we've got to change our view of food because we food is is just as complicated as our gut microbes, mm. and 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 the idea that you can reduce it to carbs and fat and calories, um, you know, or even gluten and non-gluten is just. Mm. It's just so ridiculous when you you put it in chemical terms because you yeah it, it's everything's about context everything's about what you're eating as a whole just like one microbe doesn't matter it's all about the community and what they produce as a group 
same it's about the food matrix and how you eat it and the same products you know with, you know whether chickpea is whole or partly cooked or overcooked or ground up into you know chickpea powder has a completely mm. different effect on your body yeah and yet we, we we're still in talking about it in, in terms you know 100 years old of how much energy there is in it once it's burnt as poo like it's so well and, uh, and only in one form they didn't bother yeah. testing the different types of it that's right so no yeah ryan reynolds here from Mint mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down so to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. You wrote about in the Mediterranean, there's lots of really deep fried seafood and fish, but often eaten with salad, which gives it a completely different chemical reaction inside you if, if you've had it alone. Not when you're sat on your own. You can have it with friends and it, who knows? I don't think who you eat it with affects. It's probably the one thing that doesn't affect how it affects your body. Um, and because I'm sorry for asking you 10 questions in one, to um, try and focus in on that, Do is there any uh, lobbying at the moment for doctors or people in medicine who are advising people on what to do and how to treat their body to learn a bit more about nutrition? even in sort of the example, this extreme example of post-operation, how to eat and what to eat, that kind of thing? No, is the simple answer. I think um, there have been various attempts and some there were some good movements by some medical students oh, who, wow. who actually got, before they get indoctrinated into the system, are actually really uh, quite good and can see, you know, what's going on before they get overwhelmed with facts and hard work you know it's yeah uh, uh, and um they tried us and a few medical schools did change their curriculums i think bristol was one of them but it it slowly creeps back and so yeah. just you know it, it's much easier to teach chemistry and as I, as as I, as I mentioned you know all doctors know much more about how to treat scurvy than they do about obesity or yeah. you know, weight problems so it's so yeah, it, it really hasn't changed because they call they now say that they're being taught more nutrition, but basically it's just biochemistry, and right. it's about you know molecular structure, vitamins, and this sort of stuff. It's nothing practical, and that that hasn't sadly really hasn't changed. But um, I think 
what might change this is, I mean, there are some areas of science that have practical implications on on um, on doctors. One area is cancer. Um, yeah. We've done some work uh, looking at people with end-stage melanoma being given right. immunotherapy. This is a very new anti-cancer drug, but it stimulates the immune system to kill the cancer. And if you look at the, the diets and the gut microbes of uh, people who survive or don't survive, basically, if you've got a good microbiome and a good diet, you're three times as likely to respond and survive at a year. So wow. that is, that is the, like the biggest single factor in determining whether you'll live or die. So oncologists who were perhaps one of the most ignorant group of people about diet, they just said, well, yeah, because they're drug experts, you yeah. know, and they know all the side effects and everything and, and you know, continue about losing your hair. Or whatever. They always said, diet doesn't matter, you know, it, it's just uh, eat healthily, you know, and go away and <laughs> um, have some carrots. Yeah. And <laughs> But now, you know, if they're going to be really looking after their patients and want to increase their survival, they've got to mm. tell they've got to tell their patients uh, who are having this immunotherapy, which is not only for melanoma now, but it's for kidneys, lung, you know, prostate. It's it's getting really big. Um, yeah. How to eat properly to increase your chance of survival? So, I think these sort of examples must mean that it it's got to feed into the system eventually, as. Yeah. Because in in a way, it's how these drugs work, and I think we're going to find this there's similar stuff in antidepressants as well. Um, right. That they may only work with people with a certain gut microbes or diets and things like this. So, gosh, I think, that's fascinating. Yeah, because microbes end up is. microbes end up digesting just like they digest all the chemicals in your food. They also digest all. all you know, most of the chemicals in your, in your tablet and your medicines, yeah. Yeah, which is just chemicals as well. So that's why it's all. So I'm hopefully we'll get there, but I, you know, we've, we've got a bleak, a few more years yet until it feeds back into the system. And that's why I think you know the public can't rely on the medical profession to help them at the moment until mm -hmm. that until they get educated, and that's why most people prefer to you know, speak to their personal trainer in the gym. Yeah. Uh, about diet matters than um, their, their GP. But uh, yeah. hopefully in 10 years it'll change. Let's hope so. Here's hoping. Um, all we can do is keep shouting about it. Um, because you uh, mentioned antidepressants there, I did want to ask about mental health. Like, I feel like, um, I mean, I, it's not like, I imagine it's just a case that the work you're doing is already so complicated <laughs> and never ending. Um, treasure trove of things of, of of discovery but um i think i guess because you've written your books in a way that's so accessible and there's an end conclusion which lists you know quite blanket things that we could potentially all do i wonder if there's ever a world in which and, and much like i i say that because i i, re I you know, I've read the books and I've loved them, but I've had to pick and choose from your end conclusions because I'm someone who, were I, for example, to take the advice of, you know, never snacking, I'd be in trouble because I, I, I'd, if, if I had a blanket absolute rule of never snacking, I'd, I'd be in a world of restricting, which would me would for me would lead to a spiral into disordered eating and eventually probably binging, etc. So it's you've got to pick and choose those bits of well, advice. Have we, have we never 
is is with a pinch of salt. Yeah, it's not never, of course, but do you know? I understand the logic that we are. I, I snack, you know, and yeah. um, uh, but I I know that I need just limit it. But you know, yeah, sometimes there are irresistible snacks that you uh, just want to go for. And oh God, I mean, you've got to have joy pleasure. in your life. Exactly. I mean, that's exactly, and that's very much the ethos of this podcast most of the time. But I am fascinated in eating from all angles and I think also a snack again is a word that's become morally loaded um you can have a really healthy snack when you're hungry that states your hunger that there's nothing unhealthy about having it's just we now associate snacks with something with ultra processed that's going to just fly through you that's of no nutritional value to you etc I, I get what you meant and I get that you need to put some blanket things in there but that I'd have to read through them all and go you know I can't take that, that you know, this is helpful for me. That's not helpful for me. And I come from a place of privilege because I don't know, uh, I've learned all about all these different types of nutrition and I feel very in tune with my body. And also I've had now have a really positive relationship with eating so I can do that. Um, but there are people who can't even read about weight or I'll put a warning on this podcast about our use of the word obesity. For example, there are people less far down the line in terms of a healthy relationship with eating. And I wondered with that in mind, whether you would ever consider collaborating with your incredible insight and education and cleverness about all of this stuff with someone who is as passionate and as expert in the psychology of how we eat and how how we eat affects, like you were saying earlier, our energy level, our moods, and I suppose in a more blanket term, our mental health. Because again, from doing this podcast, as well as from my own experience, I don't know how we can disconnect our physical health from our mental health. For example, if I hadn't sorted out my mental health problems regards eating, I would never have been able to get to a point where I could have a lifestyle where I was as healthy as I am now. So I wonder if there's a world in which, like a, a kind of Captain Planet, all your brilliant forces can combine yeah no i think so i mean i think we're, we're moving in that direction because clearly i've got no experience about putting people on healthy diet sustaining it you know and yeah. um, i don't come from that world so yeah um, my job is from the science show you know say this is what you should do <laughs> i'm not yeah. an expert in keeping people on it or whatever but so i think this is what i'm i'm learning with the experience with the with the company Zoe, with a Zoe who, yeah. who, who employ uh, now a lot of nutrition experts in the US and the UK. And obviously the, you know, the key is to get people to do the test, and but then stay on a program that yeah. is sustainable for months and years. And, yeah. and so we're slowly working out how to move from that short-term impact of someone like, like you reading a book and say, look at these, these these 10 things I can do and I'll do seven of them and I'll forget the other three. Yeah. But how do you, how do you then get some habit or, or get someone to live like that for the rest of their life? Yes. In a way that, you know, accepts that occasionally you, you'll, you know, make, like make mistakes or whatever, or, you know, eat something that's not good for you. doesn't matter as long as you stay yeah. on track and how do you encourage people to stay on track and how do you, you know, keep motivating people with new ideas and whatever. So luckily, um, yeah, there is this large team and some of them have been working with diet programs before, you know, uh, 
you know, the old fashioned ones, even like Weight Watchers, always had enough. They always had, you know, they wanted people to stay on because that's how they made their money and uh, whatever. So there are some common ideas to how you get people to keep on programs, to come to all of them. And there are specific ones about the new science and the new, you know, the new insights you get. So I'm, we're learning all the time. And I think it's, it's, it's a fun journey because uh, yeah. you know, I have no idea really what. And it's like we were saying, we we didn't know until we did this plan in the U.S. that you know one of the big motivating factors was for for a lot of particularly women was getting more energy out of whatever they chose to eat. And if you can keep away of people recording their energy, so they get a feedback loop, then actually that will lead to better mental health and and physical health. So I think it's little tricks like this that. Um, you know, make it worthwhile and how you do retesting, you know, do you retest the microbes? Do you say, well, well done six months ago, you've, you know, you've doubled the amount of plants and we can now see these new species growing in your, in your garden. Um, Does that help people stay on or, you know, uh, so I think this is, this is all part of this, you know, once we've got this up and running, it's how do you keep people doing on, on healthy, sustainable diets for years um, yeah. So it doesn't yo-yo, and they don't just say, "I may do it for three months. I want a crash diet." And then, so it's right. It, yeah, see it as a restrictive. It's so funny, isn't it? I th- almost um, well, from my experience, it's been I- I'm so anti almost. Well, I'm anti diet because it's just those sets of rules are so prescriptive. I don't think they're not ways to live for your whole life, and it's that. Oh, it's a different thing. It almost here's my comedian's opinion. I bet you really want. <laughs> I think you need to smash down all the rules and then let people start again from scratch. A bit like you were saying about needing to wipe the slate about all of the BS that we've learned from childhood about what is and isn't good or bad. I think you need to take the mor- morality out of eating, take the shame, take all of that out and then let people sort of start again from a place of trusting the fact that they're hungry, the fact that they're full, and exactly like you say, go, well, I eat this. How does it make me feel? Mm. If I eat this, does it make me feel sick after? Does it make me want to snooze later? Um, you know, etc. It's so, I'm so interested in it, but I don't, yeah, I'm I'm so also so interested in the fact that all the science on it seems so, it's, I wish uh, areas of science weren't, weren't so disconnected from one another in that sense that a more holistic approach to health and to include the mental health impacts i'm glad it's going that way it's exciting to hear that no definitely we know that you know food has a direct impact on mental health and all the studies about you know changing a bad diet to a good diet has a similar effect to antidepressant tablets so you know these trials are really really encouraging that you know how changing this this cycle of of behavior and whatever uh, you know, it's both cause and effect, and so that that that's that's really important to try and break down these ideas. But I think, in a way, what we've been trying to do is to say, well, if everyone could experiment themselves for yeah. a year, and someone else was writing down everything they did, uh, yeah, in a, in a perfect laboratory, and they could just do whatever they liked, and at the end of the year, someone say, you know, I'll tell you what worked and didn't work. That's yeah. sort of essentially what we're trying to achieve. Um, yeah with these new gadgets and glucose monitors and, you know, fat testing and micro testing and, and logging your mood and this sort of stuff. So I think yeah. in a way, conceptually, you know, I don't think we're very far apart. 
um, yeah. in trying to say, well, okay, this is what we think the foods that suit you are. Go away and test it. And, yeah, and, yeah. And tell us. But we're giving you a starting point rather than saying, yeah, I haven't got a clue. Here's a list of what you must eat. You must write it all down at this time. Log it all in this way. Weigh yourself every day, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So it's, yeah. But you're right. It's all about listening to your body. But now we've got a mm. few gadgets that help us yeah. do, help us do that in ways we couldn't do. And we're allows to, you know, just mobile phones allow us to think about recording things in, in much more fancy ways than we ever dreamt of. So, and we've now got... You know, you can log your sleep, you can log it. You know, all these things are probably also important for your uh, your um, weight and your food intakes. You know, they're all connected. It's very, it is very holistic. The um, Yeah. Uh, so recording. I'm everything. scared of all of those tracking devices, though, because, again, I think I would just become obsessed. I'd yeah. rather well, know I by, you know, my, like you say, energy levels, how happy I am, how fit I am, essentially, how how strong I am, where I'm. I, I'm lucky in the sense that I've found a type of moving that I love, which means I've got a really obvious indicator of being able to chart where I'm at with like my body's progress. It, you know, am I getting fitter? Am I getting stronger? Gets tested all the time. And you know how you feel. But I understand that as a scientist, it's really exciting that we are now able through a smart device to measure so many things about what's going on in our body. But I have this tiny... Well, not tiny, a bit of me. I have a concern where I think, I don't know, I don't want to get obsessed with, again, just more forms of counting and watching when I'd rather we could also as well be able to just get on with just living. Yeah, well, I, I don't think we, I don't, I wouldn't want people to have these permanent devices and I'm sure they, yeah. they will come, yeah. you know, um, but it's a bit like, you know, you're the, 10,000 steps a day on your watch you know yeah. I mean some people get obsessed with that and it, it, it's a false it's a completely false you know there's no evidence that actually that you're healthier if you have 10,000 steps or, or not you know it was yeah it was picked completely arbitrarily by some Japanese blue was it that um, was so funny <laughs> you know and uh, yeah everyone thought it was all based on science and um, uh, yeah, but I, you know, I do think people can can have 10 days or a week when they do actually test themselves yeah. and then that's it for several years and then they yeah. go away and do what they like because at least just makes you think differently about about yeah. food and i think that's we're just trying to get a reboot and say you know what do you know if you you know do you really need breakfast is it good or bad for you yeah yeah well, yeah go away and test it you know see how it feels don't take yeah my to, word for to, it. yeah totally i think there's something really uh, it's so interesting it's so i'm so fascinated in this i think i'm fascinated by the fact that some days i have I'm not hungry for hours and hours and hours into the day, even when some of those are the days where I'm most um, active, um, full of adre adrenaline, can completely um, scupper my appetite. Uh, there's so many, again, it's, I suppose it's linking it to mental health. You go, it, my hormonal cycle can massively affect my hunger, my fullness, how much sleep I've had. And not enough sleep can give me the equivalent of a hangover in terms of perpetual hunger sometimes. Mm. I'm, it's, it's so interesting. And I'm, I'm delighted to talk to someone who is going so deep into researching the hows and whys of... Um, and we're going to find out so much more because... I know, you know yeah. We, we've got, we're already up to about 15,000 people we've got data on. And so hopefully we'll, so we'll cool. get, you know, we should have 100,000, you know, within a year. And then if everyone keeps doing it, 
you know, yeah. we will find out all these different ways that people, um, in a way, interact with food and um, yeah, and get good and bad results. And I think, and trying to work out people's circadian clocks, you know, are they morning people right. or evening people? Um, yeah. And, you know, how is it? Some people live in Spain and only eat at 10 o'clock at night and, you know, yeah. and other in Scandinavia, they eat at, you know, 5.30 in the evening in Scotland, you know, it's like, yeah, and the differences in cultures where they have, where they do their sleep in two bursts and all of that. I can't wait. I can't wait to eat it up, all of that research. Now, I've nearly stolen in a full hour of your time, so I need to ask you some quick, silly, quick fire questions before your big last end question. Okay. Are you ready? All right. Uh, five second rule, yes or no? Yes, I had to wait five seconds, but yes. I really enjoyed the five-second pause before the five-second answer. That was really nice. Um, if you had no other choice, would you eat a person? Yes. It's really fun to ask a professor. Yes. Like, yes, it was quite quick, quite a firm yes. thought it would be a yes. I thought it would be a Tasty yes. person. No, someone delicious, please. <laughs> <laughs> Not just any old person. No, <laughs> um... Uh, have you ever accidentally, or in your case, I should maybe add on purpose, eaten anything that's not food? I'm not sure about that. I'm going to have to pass on that. I can't think of them. Fair enough. No childhood mud eating happened for you or anything like that. No. A few people have eaten, someone's eaten a button on the podcast before. We've had some strange things turn up. Um, what's the best tasting but worst looking thing you've ever eaten? Best tasting but worst looking? Oh, uh... I quite like sea anemones. Oh, yeah! Wow. Yes, I think they they look pretty disgusting, but um, yeah, they they were pretty good. Were they? Mm. Lovely. Say scrum diddly umptious. And then you can be in my podcast. Scrum diddly umptious. A teenager trying to impress a girl finds a way to bring Storm Eunice back to life, but genetically modified so that as well as the usual attributes of a storm, it's got acid, fireballs and lasers. We thought Fencergeddon was bad, but this is carnage, a really terrible apocalypse. She has agreed to go back in time, this teenager, um, uh, and um, not do that. And so the st- this storm never happens. This apocalypse with the lasers and the fireballs and the fences never happens. Um but only if you, and weirdly it does have to be you, do a seven-hour tango with a giant squid. Quite a sexy squid. That's right, under the sea in scuba gear. That's for seven hours. It sounds impossible, but you do it. You're a hero. Your reward in reality is the adulation of all people for all time for saving us from um, a weaponized Storm Eunice comeback apocalypse. Your reward in the moment, however, is the feast of your dreams. This is the opposite of a last meal in the sense that you couldn't be happier. You're an absolute, you're a god. You're a god amongst men. Um, and you couldn't be hungrier because scuba diving is... The, the, nothing's ever made me hungrier than scuba diving, exercise-wise. You are absolutely ravenous and you are absolutely delighted. So it's the opposite of a last meal, but it is a fantasy feast. I would love to know what you'd eat and what you'd drink. And if there's a who, with and where, you can have a who, with and where. This is a fantasy feast. So if, it, if you have it within you, I need to tell you I couldn't care less about health, nutrition. I, this, nothing you choose even has to be possible. Um, uh, I don't care about the consequences of what you're choosing to eat or feast on in this at all. I'd like to know what 
your soul desires when you're the happiest and hungriest it's possible to be to eat and drink? That's a tough one, but uh, <laughs> I'll start with I'll start with a wine. <laughs> great, great, <laughs> <laughs> lovely. Yeah. So I mean, so yeah, I, I like a nice. Uh, I get get the taste buds going with a bit of um, a white wine. I, I like a Merceau, mm. my my favourite uh, white wine, um, and I probably follow follow that with a. A big French wine, a Mouton Rothschild or a Chateau Margaux. Yes. And, uh, and after that, I wouldn't really care what I'm eating after that. Really. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you've gone for a liquid feast. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, I, I, you know, uh, the yeah, the finest oysters. Um, yes, please. Um, and I, I do it with it. I can't. It depends whether I have you know with the vinaigrette or the just the, mm. the lemon. Um, and guess what would I? Um, um, what would I go for? Well, I, I'm very partial to anything. The edges of lasagna. So I'd have uh, probably oh, have a, a yes. starter. I'd probably get someone to create just the edge bits of, uh, of, of a crusty lasagna. I can't believe in four years you're the first person to say that. The crusty <laughs> edges of a lasagna. Yes, yes. please. Yeah. Superb. Um, and I'd spend my time scraping. And yeah. Have a, a, basically a bottomless casserole. Yes. That I, could, I could keep scraping it out of. <laughs> Glorious. Um, and, uh, well, what a, I'd, yeah, I... I I think I'd probably get some pasta with white truffles, I think, um, Great. To, to follow that up with. Mm, hello. Um, and I'd probably be fairly full by it. Full by yeah. It. Um, but a bit of salad on the side just to contrast all that cheese and pasta. Lovely, lovely. And, and uh, before I yeah, segued into my you know, platter of my favourite unpasteurised cheeses with, <laughs> with, with some more wine. Yes. Oh, I mean, it sounds really delicious. What a glorious feast. You've absolutely nailed that. Um, thank you for doing a Silly Comedians podcast, even though you're an official Clever Clogs. It's been an honour to have you on. It's been fun. I nearly finished my, my lunch, but not quite. Sorry, so I've made you talk too much, um, but I'll let you go now. And I'll finish the podcast after our thank yous. Genuinely massive thank you for doing this. I'm a big fan. Fascinating, that one, wasn't it? Um, he is working on an app called Zoe. Go to joinzoe.com if you're interested in that. Um, when it's available in whatever country you live in will be findoutable from his Instagram. Follow him at tim.spector, S-P-E-C-T-O-R. His books are called The Diet Myth and Spoon Fed and are both available in all the places you'd normally get a book. Follow us on Instagram at The Hoovering Pod. I'm on there too, and Twitter at Jessica Foster Q. Feel free to support the podcast with lovely reviews and recommendations, or indeed with actual money over on Patreon. Links to those things um, and links to everything interesting Tim and I mentioned in the podcast are, as ever, in the podcast notes. I'd love to have you come and watch me do some stand up. I'm working up a new show called Wench, and I'm previewing it all over the place from London to Wales to Wells in Somerset over the coming months. Um, 
details of where to get tickets to that and indeed a way of emailing me if you want to send me something longer than a tweet are all available on my website jessicafosterq.com huge thanks to Acast for hosting the podcast Hoovering is produced by Emma Corsham and the music is by Mike Greenway until in two weeks happy hoovering a lot can happen in three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.